Well, I, I guess it's, I don't know if it's fair to call it a prophecy because it's future events that have happened but haven't happened yet. There was a podcast called the Sequel Cast. They talked about movies. And they talked about something else called boobies. The Sequel Cast. It's the Sequel Cast. It's the Sequel Cast. www.sequelcast.com Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. This is a podcast where we review movies in a franchise one movie at a time. I'm your host, Uncle Milkshake. We're in the middle of the Planet of the Apes cycle, looking at all six films in the saga, including the most recent one. We are currently covering film number four, Conquest for the Planet of the Apes. Are you sick of monkeys? Well, neither am I, and neither is Chim Chim over there munching on his banana. With me is Thrasher. Oh, Chim Chim. And special guest... Frank the Gorilla. Frank oh. the Gorilla. Who could forget Frank? He, um, his generosity knows no bounds, or bananas for that matter. And I'm Thrasher. I'm here too. Yes. Hello, Thrasher. Um, howdy. Jesus. Okay. Howdy, Frank. Howdy, Uncle Milkshake. Yeah. Howdy, howdy, howdy. So, we're on number four of the Planet of the Apes film. Seen quite a lot of these, and before we start talking about the plot, I just want to say it's very invigorating how the fourth film in a franchise, in this case Conquest of Planet of the Apes, can have so much energy, piss and vinegar. Well, that's something that I think is just so wonderful about the original Planet of the Apes films. Uh, they're able to reinvent the Planet of the Apes every time they do they do a movie, and 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 it there's such there's such a you know there's a, a tremendous jump between beneath the planet of the apes and escape from the planet of the apes and there's another big conceptual jump between escape from the planet of the apes and conquest of the planet of the apes. It, every movie is its own movie. They're not just trying to give you everything you saw in the previous film, but bigger. Well, see, that's also one of the things that they do in in the conquest is they there's no real setup. Hopefully, you've seen the other movies. But then they have the whole, I guess, history of why this movie is being made set up in the first ten minutes by the main characters. Very true. It's a pretty breezy introduction, and it, it does help having exposure to the previous films. But, you know, the law of diminishing returns, they just kept cutting back the budget, cutting back resources allowable to the filmmakers. I think by this time, the studio probably figured the only people who would see an Apes film were going to be fans of the previous Apes films. Well, but even Which, though they cut down the budget, this has some pretty large-scale action sequences. Very uh, true. Compared to uh, the third film, Escape from Planet of the Apes, it's Apes in boardroom, and you know, in meeting rooms talking for most of the film. Well, here's something funny. I want to know by somebody who was around, if any of our listeners were around at the time, was there an ape fervor? Much like, I guess, Star Wars. Was there a, a, a people standing in line to see Conquest? You know, I or have a, um, I have an uncle that was alive during that time. Um, the time being the 1970s. Yes, he was alive during the 70s. I could attempt, I could try to add him on blindly as calling his cell phone. I'm not sure if that'd be a good idea. Does he remember the 70s? Yes, no, he graduated from high school, I think, in 82 or 1980. But I feel it'd be kind of rude to blind call him, but maybe I should. I don't know. Yeah, good. I think that'd <laughs> Especially be with us recording. 
I did what now? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I think that's a bit dickish. I'll, I'll podcast. What the hell is that? It's a bit weird, Matt. But um, that would have been fun for the spontaneity. We're not yeah. about fun on the sequel cast, so. No, that's why we're watching sequels. But again, like I said, this movie has a strange opening. If you have no idea what the Planet of the Apes movies are about, if you're coming into this blind, like, there's a whole bunch of monkeys in, in, in tracksuits, in jumpsuits, just milling about being manhandled by guys. Manhandling monkeys sounds like the name of a Three Stooges short. <laughs> oh, a couple of monkeys. Uh there must have been a Three Stooges short with uh, monkeys in the title. Well, I'm sure. But that's for the Stooge cast to figure out. Uh, let's not talk about those guys. What so, so how many years does this take place after Escape from Planet of the Apes? So to recap for people that might have forgotten what happened, at the end of Part 3, uh, Cornelius and Zira, two apes from the uh, the other films, they, time, they uh, basically time travel back to Earth in the 70s and had a child ape that could speak, and they were killed, but their child ape lived hidden in a uh, circus. I believe it's Yes, and I believe it was, uh... I believe that that film, Escape from Planet of the Apes, was meant to take place in 1973. And by this film, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, how old is uh, Caesar? Well, it's the distant future of 1991. So, almost 19 years... 18 years old? Yeah, somewhere around. So he's technically he's a teenager. But, but how he... old do apes live? Well, we never we never really get a sense of their lifespan. And also, yeah, I guess that's. And also, they've changed a lot because since uh, they grew larger, and I don't know, they say they they grew larger. And my question is, is then shouldn't the gorillas be like seven foot tall? Well, they all gain more human-like proportions. I yeah, think that's the key. But that's the problem, is that the apes seem to lose everything that really made them apes, except for their faces. Well, to be fair, that's a limitation of the special effects technology at the time. True. I was actually, you don't want this, you don't want made, this looking like Bela Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla. I actually made this note that I would like to see a comic adaptation of Conquest done with real sizes, like doing the actual sizes in the proportions of apes, spider monkeys, gibbons, uh, uh, orangutans. Like, what would they have been like if they were as tall as humans, but still had the spindly legs or the broad shoulders? Because yeah, in truth, they shouldn't gotten quarterbacks be playing the uh, gorillas. So the same guys who did the sleaze tax. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I never thought about that, but right, the apes are the different kinds of apes you got in these films are all pretty much the same size, more or less. And then also, no tails. You don't have the... Where are the other monkeys? Is it just chimpanzees and... The tails are cut off at birth. It's an ape circumcision issue. No, no. Well, that would be called docking. That would be called well, docking. Well, that's actually something... That's actually something that might be worth pointing out. Now, in, in Planet of the Apes and beneath the Planet of the Apes, there are the three the three ape lines. There are the, the chimpanzees, the gorillas, and the orangutans. And yet, in Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, as near as I can tell, I only recall ever seeing gorillas and chimpanzees. No, no, there are orangutans, because he's brought in with a group of orangutans. And oh, there's also an orangutan yes. in the, the bookstore who looks just like Paul Williams, if we remember Paul Williams from the um, uh, Smoking the, the Bandit. Yeah. Oh, yes. 
Doesn't that female orangutan look a lot like Paul Williams? <laughs> oh, and also... Sorry, smoking. I didn't mean to give you the big one. Also, my favorite joke in the movie is the smoking is fixed because it's the future. The woman smoking on a cigarette. Now that I know they won't kill me, I don't enjoy them. <laughs> but isn't that so true? That is true, because in the future, yeah, tobacco will be fixed. And it won't give us cancer. What horrible future have we wrought? I'm just a bit surprised at, with the technology and how they have vitamins and fiber and stuff like cereal. While you don't have cigarettes marketed with extra vitamin C or, you know, <laughs> extra fiber, if, if you can chemically synthesize all these different healthy things, couldn't you put them in cigarettes to make them more appealing? But will, to it the... make, will it make them more addictive? That's the question the company will. will. Hmm. Well, well, turkey cigarettes, smoked turkeys, they would make you sleepy. God, that, that <laughs> sounds really good. Oh, just no, no, a big, turf, a big turkey Cubano cigar. Oh, oh. beautiful. A Ren, that would be like smoking a Ren Fair turkey leg. Oh, but you know what? Let's, let's ask this question. Why do they have apes as servants? Well, as faithful listeners will no doubt recall, uh, in, uh, in Planet of the Apes, Cornelius revealed information contained in secret texts revealing exactly how the planet of the apes came about and that part of the reason was that a plague uh, was spread by household pets and household pets, dogs, cats, etc. went extinct and that that was part of the catalyst for getting uh, apes into people's homes. Uh, apes started filling the niches that were filled by by dogs and cats. So you would have the ape as the faithful family companion. You would also have the ape as guardian. You would have the you know instead of a police dog, you'd have a police ape. And and I guess instead of helper monkeys, you had helper apes. I, I don't know if helper monkeys were affected by the plague. Well, apparently by conquest of the planet of the apes, that plague has happened. That plague happened in 1983. The last cat and dog died in 1983. Oh, that, that's correct. That is correct. But horses actually, exist. This, this brings up something, because I know, I know in our previous installment, we were talking a lot about you know, cyclical history and time loops and whether or not the apes traveling back in time alters the Planet of the Apes timeline based on, based on contradictory information we see from the first and the last film. Well, and that's, that's something that I'd, I'd like to bring up, because, you know, it... Uh, in Planet of the Apes, it seems it seems to imply that you know the the plague is going to happen a bit. F- the the plague the plague doesn't seem like something that would happen that that quickly, and so that I have to have to wonder: um, Did Cornelius, Zira, and Milo do they did they as apes carry that plague, and did they bring it to Earth in the nineteen seventies? Oh, huh. Are they carriers for that disease? Because you know, because it killed the pets, but you know, for all we know, it could have transferred to apes. But it, you know, their immune system could handle it. Is this part of the cyclical history? Are they the reason this plague took place unknowingly? It said the guy in the movie says that it was a Armando, actually played by Ricardo Montalban, says that it was brought by space. Um, it was brought back by uh, astronauts. He doesn't say what astronauts. No, that huh? It's interesting you put that. Of course, that also brings up something, you know, is there, you know, because by by the time of uh, Conquerors of the Planet of the Apes, the United States has become a, a very sort of pseudo-fascist pseudo dystopia, you know, much, much like you 
much like we see in the original um the original rollerball another excellent film from this era i I hardly endorse people seeing and everybody Um, is wear black or white or gray And, but so is is you know what was there a cover up? Does the government know that the plague came from the apes from space? I'm like oh god, well it's only going to make people panic even more if they know that. Uh, say astronauts. <laughs> now okay, you could be correct. That could easily be possibly that it wasn't there. The the microbes could have been in the shuttle. That's what I love about that's what I love about these movies. They're vehicles for thought. There is so much to think about and extrapolate from in each of these films. Exactly. Brings up brings up the ideas of like uh, slavery, oppression, uh, what role humans are. That kind of again shows us the mirror of what we are as a species and how cool we can be. Go well, ahead. This this movie has a lot to say about uh, a, a lot of a, a lot of a lot of it a lot of it's not to say about about slavery and a lot of things. A lot of there are a lot of accurate depictions of slavery in this film of things that we don't even think of as slavery and aspects of slavery that I would say most Americans are, are ignorant of. In addition... The, um, the civil rights movement. But let's continue. Yeah, sure. no, no, I was going to add to the civil rights movement thing. There is a great documentary out there, we've mentioned this before, called Behind the Planet of the Apes. It covers all five classic Planet of the Apes films. And they mention how the... So this movie was out, came out in the 70s, right? Let's see, what's the release date? Yeah, this was out in 72. But in 1965, in Los Angeles, there were the Watts Riots, which was a big, um, primarily African-American riots against police and so forth in L.A., and it was the biggest one in L.A. until uh, 1992 with the Rodney King stuff. But the documentary shows handheld footage of these Watts Riots in L.A., right next to handheld footage near the end of Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, so the apes revolting, and it's very, very similar with how they made it look. Oh. Now, was that a conscious? Was that... Who was the director of this? The director of Conquest of the Planet of the Apes is J. Lee Thompson, who... Although Arthur P. Jacobs did some directing on this as well, but he was uncredited. According to Wikipedia, um... But J. Lee Thompson also directed uh, Battle for Planet of the Apes. And let's see if there's any... He directed Death Wish 4, The Crackdown. Death Wish 4, The Crackdown, Polly. He directed... I want to know what their... I want to know if there was conscious thought behind that, as well as uh, if the writer was thinking about this one. Perhaps one of uh, J. Lee Thompson's... uh, most famous uh, movies he directed was a, a film called Cape Fear, which was later remade by Scorsese. Yes. With uh, De Niro. Uh, but the original one was filmed partially in Savannah, Georgia. With Gregory Peck? Yes, yep. Yeah. And Robert Mitchum. Yeah. Parodied wow. exquisitely on The Simpsons. With Sideshow Bob, yeah, right. Oh, yes. But back to Planet of the Apes. Uh, what were you going to say? Um... Conquest, not back. We're oh, doing right. Conquest. <laughs> okay. What were you going to say, Frank, the gorilla? Um, no, I was just going to talk about, I think, a little bit about was that a conscious thought to I, show I kind of to show violence of, I guess, not race. I guess it would be species tension. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that documentary in about ten years, but I do recall they mentioned at the test screenings of Conquest of Planet of the Apes, they showed it in a primarily urban 
area, and when the uh, guerrillas were attacking the, the white men, the, the police, and beating them up and taking them over, the they almost had a riot in the theater because the, the African-Americans in the audience stood up and cheered and were really uh, excited. Well, now here's a question, though. God, that they, sounds racist. Beat, no, no, because they beat up both on white and black cops. Both That's the cops, yeah. in that the cops are predominantly white. I will give you that. Well, this is also back in the days when people would stand up and cheer in theaters. I, I, I am not sure I've ever experienced that. I've done that. I've done that. I've done that in a movie. Yeah. I, I when was the last up. time you cheered in a theater? Uh, I believe... I believe... Okay, I did it for Iron Man, but I also did it for um, Hot Tub Time Machine because I was the only one in the theater. So every <laughs> time um, Motley Crue's song came on, I was basically off my seat basically rocking out in the dark. Cool. It was the best movie ever because I could yell as loud as I wanted and nobody could tell me to shut up. The last time I saw people cheering in theaters, I saw the new Star Trek movie on opening night. And um, when the film was over in the credits, they played the classic Star Trek themes and people in the theater stood up and applauded. And it was kind oh, of... see, that's during the movie. That's at the end. Yeah, yeah. you can cheer. And, but no, to cheer during a battle scene or something like that, like to get up from your seat and be like, Actively in the co- like in the co- ah, I see. to be action, to have that happen during the scenes where the apes are revolting, it's like you number one you can understand the tension that was going on at that time with, um, I guess that select a, a group of people if they were feeling a connection to the, to the revolt to going against the status quo of even if it's a different race, they still can identify with anyone who's been put down because of well, I mean, this, this, the this was the age, you know this was an age of civil rights this was an age you know of, of black power I mean this of course the, the Watts riots would not happen for uh, for another another two three years after this film was released well no the Watts riots happened in um, the uh, 60s oh wait I'm sorry I was looking at the wrong date my reference notes is all fucked up edit sorry. that part up that's okay. Can I actually hear, is a really good time, can I just say that Mr. McDonald is the baddest brother in the future? He is, not only is he a badass, um, he also then kind of is also against the status quo and helps Caesar by freeing him. Even though he's surprised when Caesar speaks, he does see something in this ape that, as the descendant of former slaves, he himself sees something in the enslavement of the uh, ape species um, that he is actively helping Caesar and then at the end he also then is trying to show Caesar the outcome of his actions and to give him a clearer mind so it's very much like uh, Booker T. Washington uh, during the turn of the century he was a um, he was a Christian Blacks, not civil rights, because they didn't really call it civil rights, but he was an advocate for uh, peace between all God's children, all both black, white, um, Chinese. He was, but he also believed that it should be done peacefully, and through Christianity, they would all become brothers. But he was a great man of his time, and then you have people like Martin Luther King, who advocated um, nonviolence. But then you also had other people who did advocate violence because the only way that they could remove the shackles that were placed on them 
was the revolt. Um, I'm trying to remember of the the most famous. There was a famous slave revolt in the South during the. Uh, oh, in Virginia. I can't remember the name of the uh, slave leader who killed his master, and they took all the weapons that were being prepared for the Confederate. Was that Nat Turner? Nat Turner, thank you. It was exactly Nat Turner. And I, you, you think of all these examples, and and you look at the character of Caesar, which is a powerful name. He even chooses it again, I guess. It means king. Well, I, I'm glad you brought up Caesar and the importance of that name. Um, not, not to tread on what you were saying, but this, is, I think, is an important point oh. that needs to be made. Um, in... Escape from the Planet of the Apes, the child is named Milo after the, the ape scientist who, who's killed by the gorilla. Um, but of course in this in this film he's referred to as Caesar, and there's a scene where uh, there's a scene where the senator uh, has you know he's he's for for a number of reasons we haven't actually explained quite yet, um, uh, uh, Milo is separated from Armando, the circus master, and the ringmaster of the circus, and uh, is you know sent through you know ape processing and is eventually purchased by, pardon me, is very purchased uh, eventually purchased by uh, Governor Governor Breck, and in you know very much like you know, a slave auction, pardon, in something very much like a slave auction. He's oh yes, put up yes, and said. This guy is strong. He's been well conditioned. He's very smart and intelligent. What do I bid? What do you bid? Oh yes, yes. And uh, Breck- what? And anyway, what happens is that you know, Governor Breck, you know, you got to call your ape something. And Governor Breck says, "Oh, you know, I'll let the I'll let this ape choose his own name." And hands uh, hands uh, hands Milo uh, a Bible. And of course, not knowing that Milo can read, figures Milo will just point at something at random. But Milo very purposefully turns to a passage and points at the name Caesar, and that's how he becomes Caesar. And this connects to one of the aspects of slavery that that you that you don't that I guess I, for lack of a better term, you don't learn in schools in this country. The naming conventions of slaves. It was the fashion uh, all throughout. You know the all throughout the colonial era, all the way up to uh, the, uh, the end of the Civil War, to, to give slaves powerful names, the names of great heroes and great leaders from the classical world. Thomas Jefferson's, uh, Thomas Jefferson's you know, favorite house slave was named Jupiter, the, the king of the, of the Roman gods. Uh, you know, um, you know, we, we all you know the, know the stories of, of Uncle Remus, well, Uncle Remus is a believable slave name because who is Remus but one of the legendary co-founders of Roman civilization? There's a, there's a whole tradition of giving Roman names to slaves, and that this movie connects to that. It 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 gives itself that much more realism by applying that naming convention, if only by applying it to Caesar himself. Why is I there that? To correct you on that, Will, it's not a Bible that he picks up. Oh, I, I'm sorry. It is just a book of names with the definitions of the names. And he tells him, because the way that the apes are told to do things is once they're trained, you show them what to do, and then you say, do, do. And, of course, he does the exact same thing because he's mimicking a human because he already knows how to read and write. He's a very smart chimpanzee because he's, of course, the child of two talking chimpanzees from the future. Well, on that note, 
He's able to read and he's able to choose his own name because he knows what name he's looking for. Right, and and on that note, Caesar is played by Roddy McDowell, and Roddy McDowell also played the character that was Caesar's father, Cornelius. What do you think is different with his portrayal of Caesar than of Cornelius? I think Caesar is less of a pussy than Cornelius was. Okay, yes, there's that, because Cornelius is a scientist. He was a stodgy old academic in the grandest tradition. Caesar, or Milo, is was raised in the circus. He was raised to be a performer. He does pick up a lot of what Ormondo... I guess he picks up Ormondo's humanity and a lot of his uh, visual or, or mannerisms. But then at the same time, he becomes a lot more militant because he's been raised away from the cities. And once he sees the actual degradation, the actual condition of his people in a city. This is, I believe, his first time brought into a city where apes are used as servants, basically as slaves. And when he sees it, it's a nice touch. He yells out, lousy human bastards. And that just oh. reminds you of the, the line from the original Planet of the Apes. Oh, and yeah. of course, they're, they're, they're absolutely afraid of this because there is the prophecy. Now there's an actual prophecy because it was told by it was told to us by apes from the future that could talk that something would happen and apes would take over. So any talking ape immediately should be freaking out every single human. Well, I, I guess it's I don't know if it's fair to call it a prophecy because it's future events that have happened but haven't happened yet. But that's the thing is if they can prevent it, they thought they had prevented it by killing the child in the last movie, but they didn't kill the child. And there's something I love in time travel stories when you say no matter how much you change stuff in the past to affect the future, somehow fate always comes in. Mm. And no No matter how hard you try to prevent something from happening, that very thing still happens. Well, it's always that tension between, you know, is there free will, is there predestination, or does or does history require certain events to happen so it stack it consciously the universe itself tries to heal time and stack the deck against you actually can i just say something really well this is this is interesting about that the why he screams in the human bastards um there's an ape who is a messenger for the governor so he's coming to the office and there's a group of humans who are protesting ape hiring, I guess, or owning of apes. Not because it's wrong to do that to apes, but because it cuts away their jobs. Yes, putting humans out of work. One of the one of the uh, the signs are like slaves are scabs, which no they're not. I love the one that says hire Homo sapiens. <laughs> and there's another one there's another one that says go human, not ape. Which I want to see on a shirt. You know I that would make a good shirt. I want a shirt that actually just it's just the logo for ape management and I just want it like on the uh, breast and just says ape management just black because that's the only color that exists in that future black tan and white Did, is can you guys actually think did you ever see any other human in a color other than black white or gray huh. not that I can think of and seeing all, all the humans and the police more specifically in all black really brings to mind the, the police um, like uh, the police look like uh, Nazi ballerinas continue well not just Nazi ballerinas they remind me of the uh, the Imperial officers in uh, Star Wars in the oh. original Star Wars movies the um, 
the stormtroopers are white, but then you got the higher ups that are black and have the funny looking helmets. Well, I mean, it probably is all modeled after the same, you know, fascist SS officer's uniform. No, was that black? No. It, it was, as I recall, it was like a dark, dark gray. I see, and you knew that because you were in the SS way back, right? Thrasher? No, I know that because I, I give a damn about history. Oh, okay. And I gotta say, we're demonstrating a lot of applied knowledge in this podcast, so once again, screw you, Harlan Ellison. We know our <laughs> shit. <laughs> uh, okay. Um... Oh, also, because again, another thing talking about uh, Caesar, about Milo, and we're talking about how he is different than his father. His father would look at Taylor, played by Charlton Heston, with inquisitive eyes, and his frustration, he would furl his brow, and it was some great brow work. In this one, we do get that brow work, but I love when he looks at a human, when he's trying to play dumb, but yet he has this anger, this, this, like, how dare you? look in his eyes. And it's actually like, kind of it's actually kind of frightening too. You wouldn't think someone with eight makeup on could do such a, a range of emotions. Um well, well by this point he probably is the most experienced human to play playing the roles of, of an the role of an ape. And and as a result he just knows how to act through that makeup with amazing intensity. Well and I think the um I wish Caesar's face would have looked a bit more different than Cornelius. I don't know, I think the two faces look very similar to each other, and I think maybe... It's not like they're in scenes with each other, but... It's part of the... That is... That is part of the... I guess, not joke, but that is part of the thing where they're saying, doesn't he look familiar? Look at the brow! Hmm? And it's like, well, yeah, well, we know that he's his son, but... Yeah, it's like Armando is trying to tell these people who are interrogating him about this talking ape. It's um, a really that cool is... uh, poster. What is that? A Japanese poster? Oh, well, oh yes. I, I had not. I hadn't meant to send it and distract everybody. I was actually I, for for the graphic. When these go on the website, yeah, you need to uh, use one of these two as the graphic. Although I think I'd like the Go Ape because the sequel cast wants you to Go Ape for Planet of the Apes. Uh, the Go Ape one didn't show up, but I've seen that before. That's for all the different films, isn't it? It wants you to watch a marathon, right? Uh yes. Oh, okay, that was a good one. Or at least the first four. That's right. Hmm. Okay. But also, I think his anger is justified. I mean, I'm not really... I'm not of any race that's been put down. Uh... uh oh, no, I guess race, no. No, not race, because really my... I really didn't have anybody who was... I don't want to say nobody who was affected by the World War II, but it wasn't like... I don't want to say... Everyone really... was affected by the World War II. And for more on that, be sure to tune in to the Hollow Cast. Oh, <laughs> Jesus! I'm sorry. <laughs> Whoa, Once again, these two men do not represent me. I'm cutting that out. <laughs> I, I thought of that joke a few weeks ago and been sitting on it. That was terrible. <laughs> That's the worst part. <laughs> oh, oh, wait. As long as... If, if I might take one more digression. Sure. So, notice how there's an orangutan <laughs> with his mask off. In the front? Off? Oh, no, no, no I see. Like, He's in the middle, he's just wearing it like a... It's like he's a human that killed an orangutan and is wearing his skin. Oh, it's lo it's taking forever to load for me. I'll, I'll look at it in a second. There's also a gorilla with his head off, for that matter. But oh, see, the problem with this movie is that a bunch of them don't look like they have masks that could actually move. They look like they just were wearing something on their head. 
they give no expression, so it's just a big wall of, of likewise faces. Well, you saw this even in part two beneath the Planet of the Apes. You had yeah. background ape characters, but I mean, the, the background uh, ape makeup for the extras are just a, a pullover mask, it, it looks like. Yeah. And it. Yeah, well, uh, that's why you want to keep them in the background. The moment they get cl- mid ground or closer, the illusion is, is destroyed. And speaking of which, before I forget, um, remember last time in the Escape from the Planet of the Apes episode, we talked about how they were trying to do a, a new Planet of the Apes film that's kind of a prequel? Yes. The latest in the news is the title of it is going to be Rise of the Apes, and it's supposed to. The apes are supposed to be all digital effects done by Weta Digital, who did the Lord of the Rings and Avatar special effects. Uh-huh. Now, uh-huh. now, hate what you will of the more recent Planet of the Apes film by Tim Burton, but all the ape makeup in that wasn't like CG replacement. True. Any thoughts on that? The possibility of a... Well, basically what they're saying is they're going to do Avatar, but with monkey bodies. Avatar, yes. Oh. Uh-huh. You heard it here first, folks. Apatar. When that shows up on Variety, they owe us. <laughs> now, I mean, every time they announce movies and stuff, I don't believe it until I see a picture from the set or see a trailer. So True. Take it with a grain of salt. This is internet movie. Well, actually, here's something, again, that goes to my idea that I'd like to see the apes in proportion to what they should be. Um, but I also thought, you know what would have made this and the revolting part, like where they're actually actively taking over ape management, uh, taking down the humans and such. But again, this would be a limit to the makeup, which is something they did in the Tim Burton one, is they had them doing really cool stunts off walls and, and jumping across, uh, like leaping and bounding. Yep. You know what I mean? This movie would have been so much cooler if you had more ape pokar. Parkour. Parkour? Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, sure, jumping more... off of buildings. You got a little bit of that in one scene with the gorillas. Don't they jump on top? They throw the nets? Yeah, that's another thing. Oh, let's take down the guys with guns with nets. Well, that's to tie um, in with the well, other... Let's save that for when we do that movie. What do you mean? They use nets in this film. Yeah, they use nets in this. They take down... Oh, yeah. And then they also have fire. Um... Oh, God, and that one guy... Because, again, if that ape had done, like, a really cool move instead of that sneaky move around the guy with the flamethrower at ape management... Because one of the ways they condition apes to be around, like, cooking implements is to condition them against fire, so not to be afraid of fire, which their natural reaction would be like, oh, fuck. Instead, they use a flamethrower and teach them to be okay with fire by using a flamethrower. Explain that to me. It's a brutal system. How does that make them? How does that condition them? Here, I'm gonna aim something at you that shoots fire. Don't be afraid. Well, ha- have you ever uh, have you ever had someone try to teach you to swim by attempting to drown you? That's exactly what this is like. Have you? Oh, you learn how to swim. Uh, teaching you to swim. But you also learn to hate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, are we bringing back memories? <laughs> Someone's. I don't know if they're mine. Oh. Uh, Listen, can you believe we've been talking about this for 40 minutes so far? I can. So, it's a good movie. It, it's a great movie, but let's talk more about the the film. I'm going to keep a lot of these tangents in, which is great. Okay. Actually, something, I, I want to talk a little bit about, I guess, the limitations of the film. Sure, go on. Number one, the weaponry is of the time, 
that this is the actual 70s. A lot of the clothes are very 70s. Um, the actual, like, equipment and stuff doesn't look streamlined as much as it would today. Instead of, like, something like Minority Report, where you have see-through screens and stuff like that, the way they take the handprints is they ha- basically have a huge box that they have a light in that takes pictures of their hands or something to that degree. And it looks like a fax machine or a, a copier. It looks like a Xerox. Well, that's that's something that I actually love about this film. They didn't try to make it look like the future other than by you know giving these you know, fancy fascist uniforms to people. And I absolutely love that because when you try to make something look like the future... It will either look dated or it will look silly. And this this movie bypasses both of those things by making it look contemporary for the time it was in. And now that I think about it, aside from those fancy, fancy hand scanners, there really isn't much future technology in this movie either. I mean, what one could actually say that it's a realistic depiction of the technology of 1991. Mm. Sans I, the internet. I still say it's too boxy. I still say it's too boxy. Well, I mean, also think of back then, the size of computers, the size of televisions. A lot yeah. of, you know, big electronics were very big and, and, and boxy, but... Which one of our... How many of our listeners own round television sets? What do you mean round television sets? Circular. Sets. The, in, the, in the governor's office, there's that stupid round 70s era art... What is it? I don't even know what to call art it. Art Deco? It's not Art Deco. It's like that weird... 70s pop streamline? Exactly. It's pop streamline. It's like those egg uh, chairs. Yep. And shag Oh, cars. wow. I've got a story about an egg chair. Go ahead. This has, this has very little to do with uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, but here, here's... Okay, here's the deal. Uh, my father is a uh, practicing uh, clinical psychotherapist. And at one point, uh, he was the Thrasher in Thrasher Faber Associates. Uh, and they had a fancy piece of equipment, which I believe I'm probably getting the name wrong, but I believe it was called I believe it was called like the, the, the orthrometer chair. <laughs> I like the name. And it was this big uh, uh, it was this big um, egg-shaped, like hollow egg-shaped chair. It looked like something like the High Council of Krypton would float around in. And you'd be surrounded on cushions by all sides, and it had speakers built into it. And apparently, it was supposed to be used for certain types of hypnotherapy, certain types of psychocognitive therapy, because of the way you'd be bombarded and, and, and caressed by sound. Well... And it was fun to watch cartoons in. I remember it was late at night. Dad had to take care of something at the office, so we hung around. So I was hanging around there, and there was a VCR, and there was a tape of old Bugs Bunny cartoons. But it's still the output still wired through the chair. So I'm watching Bugs Bunny in this weird psychedelic surround sound. This explains well, a lot, Thrasher. Pardon? This explains a lot. Oh, okay. well, here, here's where we go. Because, uh, well, several years later. I was. Uh, this was long after Thrasher Faber Associates had dissolved. I was talking to my to my father, and I mentioned that chair, and he's like, "You know the, you know, you know, you know the the you, th- that wasn't my idea. There was this one doctor who insisted we get that. He was a fucking weirdo, and uh, <laughs> and so 
Yeah, apparently, like everyone, else, all the other associates were like, "Well, that asso- that associate is 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 weird," and, and just like off the cuff, I was like, "He uh, after hours, I think he just sat in there and masturbated." <laughs> but then again, you know, what else do you do with that kind of chair but try to to have some kind of sex with it, uh, in sex with it or in it, even if it is onanism? Oh God, you know, here, okay, here's a good cutting place. I want to talk about the music. I think I'll leave that story in there. That'll be pretty... It'll be a good bonus feature. You know, if people are want to download a podcast to listen to people talk about Planet of the Apes 4, surely <laughs> they would want to hear a story about possible masturbation in a space chair. <laughs> That's what I deliver, my friends. Okay, go on. Uh, Frank, I want to talk... Yes. I want to talk about the music. Okay. What about it, it has the same kind of like rhythms and the beats and stuff of the first two movies. So the the, the classic, and it has that kind of like uh, the drums and the um, the beats and stuff. But then there's also this circus fanfare, which is creepier than Thrasher's Calliope impression. Um, <laughs> and I really want the score. I really want the score on CD because there's just like the weirdest music. It like. It has, like, flutes. It's, oh, God, I wish I could, like, pinpoint exactly in the movie where it is. I think it's when he's walking. I'm trying to remember if it, when he's walking alone. There's It's just the creepiest thing. Well, But, again, it oh, sounds like the same people who've done the music for the past movies. Well, well how about this? How about this? Uh, Uncle Milkshake, see if you can, uh, when you do the edit on this, See if you can pull that circus music uh, from the film to put in the to, to put in this podcast, and then we'll compare it to my creepy Calliope impression. Awesome. We can do a compare and contrast, and we'll let the audience judge. Shall I? Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let me just get, let me just get into character. Get some water. Me me me. Ah, all right. Boop boop. Boop boop. Purchase the soundtrack to this film, or you know, finding no, out. Well, not the. I guess. Well, yeah, I guess the soundtrack. Because the there aren't. The, the conquest of uh, for Planet of the Apes was composed by Tom Scott, and you can buy the CD for uh, twenty dollars. It's a CD that has both the uh, soundtrack to Conquest of Planet of the Apes and Battle for Planet of the Apes. Oh, if nice. you go to ScreenArchives.com. They do these limited run press of um, film music sometime from Film Score Monthly. Oh, also, can I can I also share this? Um, uh, Breck, Governor Breck, at one point, uh, edit this into like the part about slavery and whatnot, because I just found this in my notes. Oh, saying, "Oh, we've all been slaves at some point," and he's telling this to Mr. McDonald, and I'm thinking to myself, "Wait, when were your people ever slaves?" 
Well, the the Romans took a lot of different slaves from a lot of different people, and then again, you know, for for all well, then again, well, actually, this is this is a good question. I think he's trying to be metaphysical, like, oh, I'm a slave to my appetite, or I'm a slave to golf. I, well, okay, well, that, that's a good point. But then I again, think, wait, what if what is Breck is Breck Jewish? Is is he of is is he is he of Semitic ancestry? It's spelled B R C T, or is it B R E C K? Well, well I, either way, he he could have he could have changed it. He could have. It, it could have once been Breckmeyer, or. But I truly think if his family had ever been slaves, that he wouldn't have the stance that he has now. You you think that you think that about a lot of things, but that's one thing I've I've realized is is human behavior is so rarely dictated by reason, especially when self interest is involved. Ooh, which again is another, um, was another viewpoint that I think is covered in this movie, is that, yeah, we could be kind to these apes since we evolved from them. My stance, not everybody's stance, but my stance. We came from apes, like they say in the movie, and we see something in them that is a, a mirror of ourselves. And there, I, Breck says the reason that we enslave them is because we wanted to enslave the darker half of what we are. The reason we treat them so badly is because they're kind of like we're treating ourselves badly. I'm like, no, you're not. You're you're basically being an animal that you're hoping never becomes more than you, or never. Be, so you want to keep it down so that it never becomes this thing that takes over and basically regulates the human race back to uh, naked Neanderthals stealing corn from fields and being shot by apes on horseback. And yet, those future humans could be said to be more free than the humans in this film. I mean, after all, those future humans, they don't really have language, they don't really have culture, but they're also not wrapped in a fascist system of their own creation. They live by the moment uh, eating, running, and fucking. I'd rather have TV and the internet, though I can't imagine that I'd feel like life, especially with somebody like Nova. Oh, God, yeah. I'd take Raquel Welch. Mmm, good choice, good choice. If, all, if I could have any cable. Mm. Um, hey, actually, let's talk a little, about, a little bit about love, can we? Go for it. Oh, yeah. Um, I really, okay, when they're choosing superior males from the ape management while Caesar is being tested for how apt he is at obedience and training and such like that, and he's seen as a superior male. And it's, what, I think three orang... No, no, three apes and one chimpanzee females who are ready to be inseminated. And uh, Caesar's taken to a room and shown this very beautiful female. I have to say, she's given him the eyes. You know she wants it. Well, I I gotta say, like, wow! I don't think you'd see that in in a big screen release science fiction movie today. I don't think you'd see this kind of breeding... Uh, scene, the breeding digression. Actually, no. Um, what about something like um, Galaxy Quest? What about it? Well, I'm just thinking about the interspecies breeding between. Well, between. Well, uh, well that's played for laughs. These are two adults who are going to be forced to have sex with each other. I think this is done for laughs because look at Caesar's face when he's shown the room. He's like, "All right, it's very Animal House kind of look that he gives the guard." That that other wink to the audience? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, what do you want me to do? I'm going to do it. They're giving me an opportunity. And yet, there's also the love that he might have, this connection to this 
female Lisa, who we see in multiple jobs, because that also seems to be an idea that I keep seeing in this movie is not only can you use your slave, your your uh, your ape to go do stuff for you, you can also then hire out your slave to do work, and then you get paid for the work that your slave does. And I'll pay your slave in food, and you tip your waiter with raisins. Try hey, doing for peanuts. Try doing that the next time you go to Applebee's. You know what? Speaking of tipping waiters, that reminds me of a story. I'm gonna oh, be just involved be... masturbating in a funny chair. <laughs> no, but it uh, it involves being funny in a <laughs> masturbating chair. No, that is that's <laughs> awful, awful. Um, this is really quick. We're running pretty long so far. Yeah. The, um, okay, so once I went to a, a, an Applebee's, in fact, with some friends. This was maybe six years ago, and we went out there and we got some deal they had going on, and I couldn't get the salt to work. I tried to shake it on my food, and no salt was coming out. And I was very frustrated. And the waiter comes to my table and shows me how to use it. It's actually a salt, uh, even though it didn't look like it. It was a salt grinder, like a uh-huh. pepper grinder. We have to grind it first and then turn it around and shake it. But yep. I felt so insulted in front of my friends to have a waiter show me how to use a salt shaker correctly that I uh, I gave him a tip of a penny and wrote him a note on the receipt saying, I do know how to shake my salt, sir. Yes, but you didn't. That's the point. Yes, I know. It's It was awful and petty. Uh, Uncle Milkshake, uh, that is truly the the act of a dick. And you're about to get more insulted, because all I can imagine was like you fumbling with it and turning more into an ape until finally you're jumped up on the table, banging it down. <laughs> hey, let's talk about ape violence. Yes, there's a lot of ape violence in Quest for the Planet of the Apes. I say burn it all down, motherfuckers. Burn it down. So what causes the... um? Caesar to finally snap. I mean, beside the fact that they're all slaves and being treated like shit by uh, humans. Armando dies. Armando, after being put through interrogation, to save to save Milo, to save Caesar from being caught, he basically is fighting with a guard, and I guess either he's pushed or he falls out of a window. Um, I don't know how many stories up, but he dies. And it really, I think that is really the part that pushes, because he then blames the establishment, the people who are holding him, the government, for the death of this man that is taking care of him, like a father. And finally, it's the point where he decides, I'm going to get back at them, and the way I can get back at them is basically fulfilling this future by taking everything down around their heads, showing them what we're capable of. And then from that point forward, you know, he starts to conspire with apes. He has them gather resources. He has them gather things that can be used as weapons. And and starts starts building, for for lack of a better term, his own guerrilla army. Yeah. It's it's very... It's really cool. The part I like a lot is, because he's able to speak, he's also able to read and write. And when they have apes who go out grocery shopping for their masters, they bring him the list... And then he will write down additional stuff that will be charged to those apes' owners when they go to the market. And they'll bring it back, such as a gun, kerosene, uh, gasoline, all kinds of stuff they can use, knives, 
uh, there's actually a waiter at one of the restaurants who steals a bunch of knives um, and then burns down the restaurant. I love that part where he burns down the Benihana's. Is it a Benihana's? No, it's not. But it has it has open flame grill, so I'm saying Benihana's. Okay. Because yeah, it's, I'm just saying that. Um, but yeah, and then there's the the threat of the Achilles list, and this idea that every disobedient ape that's been cataloged, that's been it's like numbers been written down, is going to get rounded up. I'm guessing so that they can kill the disobedient ones and keep the obedient ones. Even if recondition the disobedient. Why don't they just, if they're so scared of the, if they're so scared of the apes to begin with, why don't they just kill all the apes flat out instead of using these people as slaves that you know in the future one time will or might revolt? Hey, let's say you. They're too useful. They are too damn useful. It's the same reason why we use coal, an inefficient, uh, poisonous energy source, because it's so damn useful. It's so damn useful, it, 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 in a way, makes up for all of its horrible disadvantages. Same with the apes. Sure, sure, they could replace us, but they're so useful now. And it's easy. And cheap. And again, you can use them as slaves. Yeah, once again, self-interest trumping reason. Why would you use black people as slaves when easily they could kill you in the night? Well, I guess that's another thing. Like, if you were gonna, get, you'd have to convince because you'd have to convince people to give up their property. You'd have to give. Okay, you know those that really useful appliance that you have, the ape. Yeah, we need to we need to destroy it. What me give up my ape? Never. Right. Right. That makes sense. So, try my ape with my cold dead hands. That's my Charleston Heston. So Caesar convinces the apes to revolt, and as you mentioned, it's mainly gorillas. Maybe because they had an excess of um, those costumes or something. <laughs> what? Uh, no, you're right about the gorilla masks. Um, yeah, and the jumpsuits and stuff. I would love to. I would actually love to get an ape march. Everybody talks about zombie walks. Let's get an ape march somewhere in America. Somebody get a bunch of people together in ape masks. Just have them march somewhere. And then we can have a counter-march where, where we have go-human-not-ape signs. Ah, uh, yeah. But yeah, let's talk a little bit about the violence, because yeah, they, they basically they go up against a bunch of guys with guns, with kerosene, they have a few knives, they have some guns, they have some shields. They also shamble, which monkeys wouldn't do, but they're kind of orderly, because they're being ordered by Caesar. But at the same time, I don't think they would be so slow. Well, remember though they did—they had in the previous movies they've established that the apes tend to walk with a shuffling gait. I think that's just an outgrowth of that shuffling gait. Perhaps an outgrowth of being uh, ape slaves for several years. Mm. And also trying, because again, you don't have them walking on knuckles and such. You have them walking upright. Um, yeah, I guess that's one thing. Is like. We can only assume that, that some genetic engineering or very, very selective breeding had to have happened to produce these apes. Well, actually, there was, a, there was an ape in a Dutch zoo. I have YouTube footage somewhere of it, of a female ape who had a stomach virus. When she became uh, well again, she refused to go down on, uh, on her hands and, and feet. Really? She would, she would actually actively always walk. Uh, upright, and people were astonished by this. And I believe she still does. And this was uh, like years ago that she had the stomach virus. 
Um, but she still walks upright. So that's what happened to my ex-wife. Ba-da-bum-bum. Awful. Okay. I don't know if that it, the idea that it could happen that way is that, yeah, it could be something well, genetic. I guess evolution. It's beyond though behavior because you know they they don't just they don't just have a capacity to walk upright. They have more human proportions. They have a, a, a yeah, keener could that, intelligence. Could that have happened in twenty years? Oh, get only with right? genetic engineering. And I mean, I'm glad the movie doesn't waste time explaining uh, how the apes got to, the, to be the way they are. But at the same time, you know, for my own peace of mind, I have to assume there was some genetic tampering that, that uplifted the apes to that level. But yeah, the violence, even though the violence isn't that bloody, it's still... It's pretty, not bloody, but it's brutal. It's, it's honest. brutal, it's intense, it's, it takes place at night outside on these sort of concrete grounds. That's also a problem I have, because you don't see a lot of the movement because it is so dark. Yep. You don't have enough lighting, and, and people are told to stay indoors so that the defense... Uh, the defensive army or whatever has freedom of movement so that they can go from anywhere. And yet there don't seem to be that many actual defensive uh, guardsmen. Well, they probably don't. Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're sort of a fascist nation. Crime is probably suspiciously low. Uh, and they probably, you know, they never figured they'd ever need to be deployed in this scale. That's true. But one thing you said about the darkness, though, I think that's a conscious choice because that makes the fire show up so much better. And and really, these these riots are pure human on ape chaos, and I think that helps point it out. Let's kind of zoom ahead to the end. Right, and speaking, uh, yeah, I guess we can talk about. So originally, when this film was cut together and submitted to the MPAA, they slapped it with an R rating because of violence and uh, a dark ending. And the ending was changed at the last minute with voiceover. And in the version that most people have seen, it has. A, um, oh, I guess uh, does someone want to describe what happens in the uh, theatrical no, ending? No. I think you no. should. You're the one who sent me the. You're the one who sent me the link. Right. Okay. So the original ending for the film, when it was slapped with a R rating before they decided to to change it, is it does have Caesar gives this wonderful speech, which I'm going to clip in here if I can find. But if not, I'm just going to read it out loud if you don't mind. Oh no problem. I, I to Wikipedia. Go for it. Well, you, you, you need to put the force behind it. Where there is fire, there is smoke. And in that smoke, from this day forward, my people will crouch and conspire and plot and plan for the inevitable day of man's downfall, the day when he finally and self-destructively turns his weapons against his own kind, the day of the writing in the sky when your cities lie buried under radioactive rubble, when the sea is a dead sea, the land is a wasteland out of which I will lead my people from their captivity, and we will build our own cities, in which there will be no place for humans except to serve our ends, and we shall found our own armies, our own religion, our own dynasty, and that day upon you is now. Okay. What's cool about that is that is a conversation really between him and McDonald, who is still alive, who is, who is saved. By Caesar well, to well, witness it, as is Breck, because Breck is a witness to it. In the clip that you sent me, the, the alternate ending, he's beaten to death. Yeah, originally he was supposed to be beaten to death. He's beaten this, to death, and you see the apes continually beat the policemen up, and it sort of show, it, it shows a long shot of this beating going on with flames in the background, and it just fades to black and says the end. It's uh. 
That's Hell of a Conquest. Yeah. But again, they show this and they show, I guess, what? I guess, is he showing mercy? Or is he kind of... <sighs> well... You know, I, I have my own own take on the ending that we ended up with because in the in in the the ending that was released, you know, they're about to to beat the the apes are about to beat the senator to death, but then uh, Caesar's mate, you know, cries out and he has kind of what seems like a change of heart, and instead he he talks him down, and you know he he gets he gets the apes to stand down with an with an addition to his speech. Um, and it's it's almost like you know he, he it's, with that new speech it's almost as if he wants to it's almost as if he wants the senator to survive as a witness to to see what the apes are truly capable of and to to live with the knowledge of what the future of mankind is going to be and yet with this additional part of the speech Caesar sort of betrays himself to have ambitions just as dark as any human. Can you read that speech, Frank the Gorilla? Can I read the speech? That end part of the speech. It's on Wikipedia near the bottom. Uh, send it to me? Um, Alright, I'll read it like an ape. Okay, scroll towards um, just page down one or two times, and then it's that one near the end that begins with, but now we will put away our hatred. Ah. Uh, okay. But now... But for- yeah, okay, I'll do it. Um, but now, now we will put away our hatred. Now we will put down our weapons. We have passed through the night of fires, and those who were our masters are now our servants. And we, who are not human, can afford to be humane. Destiny is the will of God, and if it is man's destiny to be dominated, it is God's will that he will be dominated with compassion and understanding. So cast out your vengeance. Tonight, we have seen the birth of the planet of the apes. And the thing is, I find this additional part of the speech to be truly sinister, because what is Caesar describing but the white man's burden? Just replace white man with apes. You know, that that was went, went on for years. That colonialism and slavery were actually good, positive social forces because it because it civilized people and it uplifted people. When of, co- of course we know now that that's all nonsense, but that that's what he's saying. That it's actually better for humans that, that they be oppressed just as the the apes were oppressed. Well, actually, here will goes back to the book, the Planet of the Apes, in the racial memory of the uh, captive humans that uh, Cornelius is experimenting on in the book, they actually talk about the humans being all right with being conquered. They're like, well, my my ape, he brings me food and he cleans out my straw, and it's all right. If it was meant to happen, I guess this is the way it happens, and I'm all right, as long as I'm taken care of by my ape captor, by my master ape. <laughs> Don't hurt me. For that is ape law. Mm. But okay, let's actually try that. Uh, tonight we have seen the birth of the planet of the white man. You see, that's what Hitler would say. Yeah, see? And then also, destiny is the will of God. If it is blank's destiny to be dominated, it is God's will. That is definitely manifest destiny. Yeah. That is that is kind of really domination. Any kind of domination of anybody that you think is lesser than you, because it is right that they should be, it's like, oh, we're going to help them by dominating them. 
And you know, that's that's the strange thing. I, I always hate it when the writer or the director's vision is tampered with, but this is one of those rare times where I think that this the 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 ending we ended up with, the changed ending, I actually feel is better because of these sinister undertones. I mean, it's certainly not a, a Disney ending, right? Oh, God, it, it's not like the sun comes out and the apes and humans start hugging and jumping <laughs> up and down. And one thing leads to another, and... Uh... <laughs> oh, no, no. Please... Which is actually something i got to say. In, in this future, there has got to be some ape porno that, that like people do. There's got to be recordings of mating sessions that people sell and trade amongst themselves. And there's got to be, you know... Dude, there's got to be some freaky ape-human porno that exists in this world. But you're so damn ugly. Bright eyes. No, yeah, there, there could easily be, but that's that's really wrong. But yeah, it's the same as bestiality, because technically these things are still animals. Except, here's another thing I want to talk about. If you see Lisa, she is the first... She, she speaks. She voices her objection. Uh, at that point, uh, to kind of change Caesar. In truth, she's the first chimpanzee to be able to utter a word because True. she's not she's not from a parentage. She's not from a lineage that is actually from the future. So in truth, she's more she's I guess historical, but she's also I guess fulfilling the idea that all apes will be able to talk at one point, not just. The children of Caesar. Again, another reason why I think there's probably some genetic engineering going on. Yeah. Again, you got to wonder how old do apes? You got to wonder how old are apes? How what's the maturity level? And then again, what level do they start breeding them? What level do they start training them? How old do they have to be? Because at one point we actually see some baby chimpanzees, which are played by real chimpanzees in a window. It would have been hold... creepy had they have human babies with the ape makeup. I think that would have been. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure I want to talk about that. I don't even want to think about that, really. So we, we've talked I'll, I'll a play, lot about I'll this play. conquest of the I'll planet play. of the apes. Can I say one thing? Yes. There are no chimpanzees in Borneo. Uh-huh. Okay. I just wanted to throw that in there. Okay, I don't know what that means, but... Because the guy who I think is hilarious in this movie, um, Vold, I think his name is, the um, the guy who's in charge of the authenticator machine, um, he actually says, because he's talking about a crate that came in with four orangutans and one chimpanzee from Borneo, and he says, there are no chimpanzees in Borneo. Ah. Okay. Yeah, that's the clue. I see. That is the clue. I also hate that guy. But good for him. Okay. So would you recommend, uh, we've been talking about this film for quite a while, would you recommend Conquest of the Planet of the Apes? Oh, yes. Absolutely. And, and admittedly, you know, like, I understand that, that Escape from the Planet of the Apes, as important as it is, could be considered an acquired taste. You could jump directly from beneath the Planet of the Apes to uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. But damn, this is a this is a good dark installment in this franchise. It it really isn't it is a new height for the series. Again, I could skip right from the first one. I could skip right from Planet of the Apes to Conquest of the Apes. Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Ooh, yeah. I mean, yeah, this Conquest of the Planet of the Apes is perhaps the strongest of the Planet of the Apes films. 
It's so different. It's so different, it's so- and that a franchise this far in can reinvent itself a bit with each installment is quite quite commendable. Um, I- I'd like to hear. I would like to hear from some of our listeners who maybe were around at this time. What was the buzz like? I mean, I want to know if there were some real big diehard fans. So we, I wish we had that guy on um, to talk about. I guess the the ape fervor. I don't know what to call it. Like fandom that was happening at the time. Yeah, I'm gonna try my damnedest to get Rich Handley, who was on for Escape from Planet of the Apes uh, episode. I want him to get on for the next episode for Battle for Planet of the Apes because he mentioned he has a lot of interesting things about that film that he likes. So be sure to visit our website at sequelcast.com. Send us an email at sequelcast at gmail.com. Check out the Twitter feed on twitter.com slash sequelcast. And uh, be sure to leave comments in iTunes, because nobody's done that yet. If you go to iTunes, search uh, sequelcast on the iTunes store, you can find our podcast. So this is uh, Uncle Milkshake. Thrasher. And Frank the Gorilla. Saying, oh no 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 no! Here's how you end it. You end it with no, <laughs> no. <laughs> shall we? Shall we continue? No, <laughs> no. <laughs>